My special guest, Stuart Gibbon, is a former senior detective and now a much sought-after crime-writing consultant and author. Throughout this series, we're going to be exploring his police career, his writing work, and how procedurally accurate the bill was. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this fascinating series of podcasts. When did you first decide you might like to join the police? What was your journey? Yeah, it's interesting because my my sort of journey began when I was a kid, I think, really, looking back now. We um we lived in Gateshead, which is a quite a working class area south of the Tynes, south of Newcastle, so in the northeast of England. And we grew up there in our house. And um we had a burglary one day. We we'd been out, me and my mum had been out shopping. I was only little, really, I mean really small, but I remember things distinctly. We'd been out shopping, we came home and the place was just upside down, it'd been ransacked. And it really kind of upset me, but it, my mum was distraught, really. You know, it frightened me a bit as well, because I was thinking, you know, are they still here? Are they going to come back? Um, long and short, you know, they never found out who did it. We had an idea, but they never got caught. And that was the first time when I remember thinking, even though I was only small, this is not right. You know, if I can do anything when I'm growing up to stop this sort of thing from happening and make the world a slightly better place, I'm going to try and do it. And really, from that point on, I don't remember ever be, wanting to be like a spaceman or whatever else people think they want to be. I only ever remember wanting to be a policeman. And, and that's really odd, really. And so I, as I got into my teenage years, I, I decided I was going to try and make some inquiries and see if I could get in early, you know, as a, as a cadet, really, because I'd heard they were doing Northumbria police, my local force, were having like police cadets, volunteers going in on, say, a Tuesday night and they'd go swimming and do a bit of first aid, learn a little bit about the police and work with, you know, just spend some time in a classroom with a uniform coppers which were like you know like gods really to be honest to us and that's what I did uh, and my plan initially was to stay in the northeast because I, I was brought up there I'd never really gone much further from there apart from summer camps at school and stuff so I was quite a home person so I wanted to join Northumbria police as a police cadet because um, they had the kind of fully fledged cadets when I think they were about 16 you could do a couple of years in the cadets and then maybe think about joining the regulars so I started making some inquiries about that. But at the time, they weren't recruiting for cadets. They'd just finished recruiting and they weren't taking any more. So I was gutted and I thought, well, what do I do? So I, I made a decision, which is a bit random, but looking back, it's a bit like me, really. I thought, well, I'm going to try and find another force that's not a million miles away that might be taking cadets. So I remember sitting at the kitchen table, writing all these letters out. So I got a map of like the UK kind of thing. And I worked my way south from, I didn't go north for some reason, I went south um, from Northumbria to Durham, Cleveland, and worked my way down the Midlands and wrote to all these forces saying, you know, gives a job kind of thing. I, I, are you recruiting police cadets? Because I'm really interested. And for some reason, and again, I'm still not entirely sure why, I also wrote to the Met in London. And I don't know why I did it, because it couldn't be further from really from where I live. But I wrote to the Met just as a kind of almost like an off the shoulder job. And, so I did that, and the only force that came back positive was the Met. Yeah, yeah, we're recruiting at the moment. Everybody else wasn't, or there weren't at that time. And the Met came back and said, yeah, we're recruiting, um, and come down if you want to, and we'll go through. And it was it was a tough process, a couple of days um, away from home. Um, my parents took me down, and it was all sorts. I imagine it's physical and mental stuff and all sorts of bits, a big interview. Then I heard nothing for a little while. Then the the letter came through the door and it was you know, you'd been accepted and that, that was really when my life changed because at six just over 16 which is where i was i was moving away from home massive step really going to a place 
capital city. I don't think I've, I don't think I'd ever been to London before. Thinking about it, we weren't the sort of family that travelled far from home. If we went, if we went out, we went to Hexham, we went north. We didn't go south very often, really. And I was, I was going to London at sort of just over sixteen, really naive kid. Um, and boy, were my eyes open when I got down there. But I, there were hundreds of other kids, and there were we all we were kids in exactly the same boat that had come from all parts of the UK. And that's where my kind of journey began. I was a police cadet for um, just under two years. It was kind of like the army in a way. There was an awful lot of discipline, which didn't, I mean, I wasn't a, an unruly kid by any stretch of the imagination, but that never did me any harm at all. There was the, the marching, you know, the um, discipline. Uh, they got like, what they call defaulters. So if you did something wrong, you got out of order and you got caught, you had to get up at silly o'clock and run around the parade square with one of these big kind of telegraph poles if there were two or three of you on your shoulder, things like that. And there's the old best sort of So there was that kind of discipline. Wow. But again, it didn't do me any harm, but it made you realise that you weren't going to step out of line again because you didn't want to get up that early. And it's hard work running around a parade ground, you know, with the gear on, carrying something really heavy. But then we did law. We learned a lot about the law. We did studying as well. We did loads of sport, which I mean, I'm a real, I like sport. So that was, we did all sorts of sports. And we was in the gym. You know, do climbing up ropes and doing all sorts of gymnastics, like basketball. So it was just like a big, it was like a camp, although the discipline was obviously quite tough. I did that for nearly two years. Most of that was at Hendon at the Peel Centre at the oh, train. Cool. And then it came to a point where you, we moved to a different stage. And because of my age, it was going to be what they called like a community stage, which was the final part before we made a decision where we're going to apply for the regulars. And mine was, I, I got posted down to Sunbury on Thames on the river. It's a beautiful place. And there was a cadet centre there. And me and a few of my mates put in for that because it sounded like a nice place. Didn't know much about it again, but it just sounded really nice, Sunbury. So we went there and I did two things really, which were brilliant. I did a bit of community work. And for me, that was working in a hospital. It's just turned 17. And me and my mates, who I played football with, we both got um, given a community job at Kingston Hospital um, as porters, believe it or not. There's not really a lot of training, as you can imagine. But now kind of pushing wheelchairs and trolleys around hospital, you know, wards, meeting patients, meeting staff and whatever. It was, a, it was again, a real eye-opener for me. I worked in the x-ray department. My mate um, worked in the, in the A&E department, so we were both really busy. So I did that for a few months and then came the bit where they said, right, we're going to, we're going to send you to a police station, which was like, again, wow, this is like, we're going to, no, we're going to work at a, a real police station as a police cadet. And I went to Kensington, which again, is another wonderful part of London, next to Chelsea. Uh, they sent me there. Again, I must've looked about 12, you know, I was very young looking, um, really shaped, short hair. And the, the funny thing about that really was that we wore a uniform that had a flat cap. It had a blue band around it, but it was a flat cap. And all the other bobbies wore the, the traditional big bobbies helmets. So for, I don't know why, but for some reason, whenever someone came up to us to ask for advice out on the street when we was out on patrol, they always used to come up to me because I, I guess maybe they thought I was a senior officer. I'm because <laughs> I must have been a bit of a flyer if I was. But yeah, so if it's for directions or, excuse me, can you do this? And they used to totally blank them the experienced Bobby that was right next to me because I had this black cap on and looked like maybe I knew what I was doing and I might be a senior officer. Fantastic. They worked shifts, did night shift for the first time, met some really great people. 
carried on sport because they had a football team. So I played for Kensington Police. And again, what the Bobbies must have thought seeing me running around, because they must have realised. I mean, you were allowed to play for the police team because you worked for them. But I wasn't a regular at that stage. And then it came to the, the, the point where, unless you didn't want to, you were going to go to Hendon, back to Hendon, to the proper big college, if you like, the training school, which was literally not far at all, a short walk from where the cadet school was at that time. At that point, that's when I sort of turned up there, the three big um, tower blocks, very imposing building, the statue of Robert Peel at the front of the classrooms, and it was like walking in there, security on the gates and all that sort of thing, and you go. Um, we used to joke it was to keep us in rather than <laughs> getting in. But um, yeah, 16 weeks of that, really hard work, but really enjoyable, more, more discipline, loads of law. I mean, every day we were doing exams, learning procedure. At the back of the school, they had a like a mock, a mock police station with a zebra crossing and a double-decker bus and crashed cars and all. So hey, used to wow. do, you used to do your scenarios there. So you'd, they'd say to you towards the end of your training, right, you know, there's been an accident around the back. You're the officer on duty, off you go, sort of thing. And you used to have to chop around there. And you had the people that were playing the parts of the injured party were the instructors and other, other, uh, other graduates. Uh, and they just used to mark you, you know, what you do it give you feedback afterwards and you have to get to a certain level so then it became the you know the drunk as a man out there he's drunk he's being mouthy go and deal with it you know and then you have to decide you know are you going to arrest them got to get the caution right then you take them into the police station and there's somebody sat behind the desk who plays the part of the side i mean it was all it was very realistic because when you were doing it you really kind of got into the role and your training started kicking in then because it's been drummed into this is what you and that's where that's where you can make your mistakes because it's, you know, it's not the end of the world there and you'll get your feedback afterwards. And as long as you learn by those mistakes, that's brilliant. So a great environment to learn. Um, and that was 16 weeks of all that sort of thing till the final exam and then sit down, go through every exam, which is huge, but really long, interesting, difficult exam, providing you reached a certain level in terms of a pass mark. You were kind of, you you'd passed and you were going to be posted. There were two of us in my class that were from the northeast. Um, so of course, you know, the nicknames, the Welsh attack and that sort of thing. So we're going to be Geordies, but there was two of us. So, you know, we can't have you both called Geordie because that's going to really confuse things. So how do we get around this? <laughs> coppers being coppers or trainee coppers. Well, the oldest one can be called Geordie and the other one can be called George, which is a bit <laughs> random. But, so I was the youngest, so I became George. And like... And I think genuinely at Hendon, people thought that was my name. It wasn't, but I became kind of George Gibbon, which is fine. And I even used to start to sign my name on class photos and all that as that, because that was my name. And when I eventually got out of Hendon and went to Wembley, which is where I was posted, my first posting, and where I did most of my service in fairness, was Wembley. There were even one or two inspectors who thought that that was my name or my middle name at least. And it used to appear on my annual appraisals. <laughs> name was... And I didn't have the heart to correct them and say, well, that's not my name. It's actually got nothing to do with me because it had just stuck. And for all for nearly 20 years down there, it was I was, I was known as George. It just through something like that, just a nickname that stuck. Did many people who went through all that training then not want to do the job? Yeah, there were one or two that there were one or two that dropped out for various reasons. There were a couple who actually passed the um, all the training and, and were posted to a station but then left after a period of time presumably because it wasn't 
maybe quite what they thought it was going to be. Um, because all the training can pre prepare you for something, but actually, till you're out there, particularly on your own, I mean, they don't put you on your own straight away. You're, you're kind of tutored with somebody that's more experienced. But there comes a point where you do go independent on that first day when you walk out on your own and you've got the uniform on, you're fully aware that, you know, people will not distinguish between a 25-year PC and a, someone who's just come out, apart from the age, maybe. But even then, it always worked that way. You know, they're going to expect you to know you're going to expect you to help them because that's your job. So it's quite a, quite a bit of pressure there. There were there were one or two, but I have to say the majority went through the whole process. We all went through together. The disappointing thing was that we didn't really get the opportunity to meet up much after that because we all got spread out all across the Met. We went all over the place. And the only time we'd see them is if we had a football match to police, maybe in London, central London, and you used to go to this big canteen to have your fried breakfast in the morning before the match. And you used to say, Oh, thanks yeah. for ages. And it was a quick catch up, that, that sort of thing. You know, I mean, the social life is very good, but it tended to be concentrated in the area that you were working. So once you all split up and went all over, and I went to Wembley, and I, I mean, I, I didn't choose Wembley, but I, I knew it because, again, I'm, I'm quite a big football fan. So I, I just knew Wembley Stadium, really. I didn't know what the area was like, but it's actually quite a really nice area. It was very different back then. We're, we're talking about the 80s, so it was very different. A great place to work and a fabulous shift that I was on. Um, I mean, when I think back now, the, the shifts that we did were just, I wouldn't be able to do them now. I mean, I'm getting on a little bit now, but I don't know how we did them. They don't do them nowadays either. But we did, just for an example, we used to do seven, seven night shifts in a row. So we'd start on a Monday night at 10 o'clock at night, 10 till 6 in the morning, which that's not too bad. It's eight hours. It's hard work, especially the first few. But obviously, when you used to do it, night shift is night shift. So we did Monday to Monday to Sunday nights, a whole a whole week of nights. But then the crazy thing was, come the Sunday night, once we finished our final night at six o'clock on the Monday morning, we were expected to be back on shift again at two o'clock that afternoon. Oh. So we actually had eight hours between leaving the police station, if we were lucky and finished on time, and parading for the for the Monday afternoon shift. So you can imagine that, and then you're expected a lot of people to drive the emergency vehicles and be really switched on with far less than eight hours. And some, some of them live quite away from the station. Might take them half an hour or more to get home. So you chop that off and you're already looking at it. So you can imagine the kind of the Monday late turn after the set of nights was like, it was a tough shift. And then you had another, another late the next day. Then you had a couple of days off. So it was, yeah, those shifts were crackers really terms of that sort of thing but you got you got used to them um i used to like the nights and the lakes i didn't like early turn couldn't have that it was many a time many a time and I, I used to live at first in the section house behind the police station which was just like a block of flats and all sorts used to go on there i mean crazy place um because that's where we used to let off steam after busy shifts and dealing with things that weren't very nice and the amount of times we used to have a warden who was often a retired RAF officer, retired police officer, used to sit in the national phone in the office. And the amount of times that when it was winter or whatever, some people would um, they'd do an early shift and they were, they were really tired. Early started at six in the morning. So you paraded at six, you finished at two in the afternoon. So some people would go to bed after early because they were tired, understandably. And then it was dark and they used to kind of have a sleep. And they used to wake up and it was still dark. And they used to panic and think that they were late for the shift for the next day. So they used to kind of oh. put a uniform on and go racing down the 
and to be stopped by the warden at the bottom saying, are you all right there? Yeah, I'm late for Hang on a minute. It's, what day is it? And it used to get quite a bit of that because wow. things just like molded every day, molded into the next one. But great fun, really, really great fun. And memories I'll always, I'll always treasure. And a job that it's like no other, really, as you can imagine, just sort of dealing with all sorts of different kind of different jobs, just unbelievable, to be honest. You mentioned about being like partner with a more experienced officer who was like your mentor as you were starting. Well, mine was a chap called Dave, who was also from the northeast, which was brilliant because we had something in common straight away. He was he was quite a straight-talking individual, um, which was good because I was happy with that. You know, said it as it was, but also very very patient with me because there were a couple of things I couldn't get my head around, particularly in relation to traffic stuff because traffic was never really my specialist subject. So he was quite patient with me in, in that respect, but let me do let me do the job and would give me quite a lot of slack if you like when we were together so he would look after me but would step back often which is good because you then feel as though you're making the decisions and if he did something slightly wrong he'd you know he'd either interfere there and then if he needed to but often he'd just have a word afterwards and we'd have a cup of tea in the canteen and say look you know you dealt with that really well or you know but actually when you said or did this you know have a think about it because it'd be better if you did it this way and actually you know you did that but this was probably a and so just feedback but yeah, he was he was a fantastic tutor and had tutored many constables before and was just I was quite lucky really. I mean they were all very good, but he was one of the more the ease more easier to get to get on with in terms of he, he just wanted to develop people. He just wanted to see that you were as long as you were putting the effort in and trying, then you know, he was he was well on side with that. And did you get to like go home much to see your mum and dad? Like what did they make of your you're your yeah, really excited for me missed me i missed them massively because i didn't get home that often to be honest with you in the cadets i used to save up the washing uh, the personal washing powder i used to do tokens for free rail travel or discounted rail so i used to buy all these packs of washing powder i used it eventually i used to you know, my mates because we'd have to do our own washing and iron and all that sort of thing i used to cut them out of the packet and save them up till i had enough to be able to get a, a discounted ticket because actually travel was quite expensive as well probably three and a half hours, something like that, from Kings to Newcastle. And then I had to get home from there. But yeah, that, that, I mean, it was hard at first. I did get pretty homesick when I first went down there. But I think because there was so much going on and everybody was, in, you know, some people were really, really, you know, some of the lad from Wales was, it was in tears a lot of the time because we missed home so much and it was very difficult. And it was hard work. And we're only kids at the end of the day. You know, we were, we were learning. So we just kind of mocked in together. But parents really excited. Um, would have preferred me to have been a bit more local, I think, to be perfectly honest. But, you know, the way it worked out was, was fantastic. Looking back on it now, people say, would you, would you do it again? I think I probably would. But there are certain aspects now that are just so completely different that what we did then and what we witnessed and what went on would never happen now. So, you know, things are, things are very, very different. But in terms of mentors, um, there was a chap, um, I think he was the first black policeman in, in the Met called Norwell Roberts. What a fantastic man he was, still is, I'm sure. And he was kind of my mentor for CID. I wasn't in CID, but my first um, my first kind of good quality crime arrest was for a couple of burglars, house burglars. And it was quite ironic, really, because I, I was trying to get off on time. It was a late shift, finishing at 10 o'clock at night. And I was trying to get off on time. And I, I wanted to watch Match of the Day. I think it was on, like, sort of half 10, something like that, you know. I wanted to watch it. Sounds awful, but I did. 
I thought, well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, there's no good sitting in the nick because I'm gonna get somebody, some sergeant's gonna say, excuse me, George, um, can you just do this for us? And I might end up being, you know, so I thought I'll go out, I'll just have a quick walk around the block, keep me head down as best you can. Um, and then I'll get back to Nick, get off on time, I'll go and watch the football job done. So I went out and went across the road, literally across the road from Wembley Nick. As if you imagine, it's like a square of houses. So I went around the back, just gawking around, really. And I could hear this clinking and bottles and stuff. And I think that's a bit strange. And it seemed to be coming from one of the houses, the big houses around there, really nice houses. So I'm waiting for a minute and sort of listening and trying to, and I have a little look through the privet hedge as best I can. And I can see these, I can see people at the back of the house, sort of moving things. And I think, oh, okay, that doesn't seem quite right. And I don't know whether they heard me or, or something else disturbed them. But the next minute, there was another clink of glass. And these two characters came out the driveway and kind of looked, and they came out, and I was to their right, and they looked in my direction. I, I didn't have my helmet on because I'd taken that off, but I was in full uniform. They looked in my direction, just got and went the other way. Now, these two men were big, big men. I mean, when I say big, they were as tall and as wide as they were tall. They were big fellas. So I obviously got on the radio and said, look, quick, I need some assistance. I told them where I was. And, and the brilliant thing about it was, I, I probably, because I was quite fit, I probably would have been able to catch him fairly comfortably after a short time had I wanted to and had I been able to, you know, get up, catch up with them. But they were running in a certain direction, which actually meant that when they got to the top of the road, the only way they could go was left. And then the only way they could go at the end of that road, I mean, these are not very long roads, particularly. When they got to the end, the Nick was right in front of them. <laughs> so, of course, I'd call up on the radio and say, they're heading down to the road. And as I run behind them and ca I'm catching them up now, they're not going to stop, they're going. I see all these people coming out the front of the Nick like Keystone Cops and moving <laughs> across the road. And, of course, apprehend these two fellas at the roadside. And I'm like, I must admit, I was kind of the flavour of the month at that point because... <laughs> transpired that it had been a house burglary that i or something else had disturbed them and that actually they were both quite experienced burglars from the east end of london who had come over to wembley now why on earth they hadn't had the house to have a look round first to know that the nick was there then we're going to run and we get disturbed we're not going that way we'll go that way i don't really know but it was kind of and that's when i first met the norwells called noz noz roberts um big black man massive i mean really huge and he kind of took me under his wing and said, oh, fantastic arrest, you know, and as if oh. I got out and sort of, you know, I'm going to look for some burglars now. And I didn't <laughs> yeah. oh, keep my head down, but it turned out all right. And I didn't get up till three o'clock in the morning anyway, so I missed the football. But it was, I mean, it was a good job because they were, you know, they were, they'd got loads of previous for burglary and they'd obviously travelled to burgle this really quite a big, nice house and put it just across the road from them. You couldn't make it up really, could you? So that was one of my first kind of, and I followed that case and, and Noz worked with me. He was a DS in the CID. And he said, you come with me and we'll, I'll, I'll show you what we do. And, and I went to court with him as well, we went to Crown Court and they got convicted in the end and it was all kind of, and from then on, we kind of built this sort of friendship where he would look out for me. So if ever I went in the CID office and I needed some help, he would either help me or he would get one of his DCs and sort of, can you just give, give my hand please? Which was nice, and then from then on, I guess that's probably where I'm thinking. Well, actually, I, I quite like this detective thing. It's quite a, it's quite interesting, and uh, maybe I want to, you know, I'd like to be a, a detective at some point in, in my career. And that's where it kind of went from there. I was at Wembley for many years 
And then I decided I was going to go into CID. My huge thanks to Stuart. There'll be more gold dust to come from him. In the meantime, you can follow the great man on Twitter at GIB Consultancy. You can also visit his website, gibconsultancy.co.uk, where you'll find information on Stuart's fantastic series of crime reference books, which are truly fascinating. And we'll be talking more about them in the upcoming podcasts. Thank you very much for listening. Stay tuned. In the meantime, here's the mighty Ben Payton to read our closing credits. Hello, this is Ben Payton, and you have been listening to The Bell Podcast, produced and presented by Oliver Crocker. Co-produced by Ben Adams, Dan Evans, Sarah Kuyper, Alex Mockler, and Simon Wolfe. Executive produced by Glenn Allen, Ben Ashmore, Daniel Christopher, Alana Dewar, Andrew Dyack, Paul Dunn, George Fairbrother, Stuart Gibbon, Erin Gordon, Luke Hegarty, Edward Kellett, James Ladane, Lucy McNeil, Stuart and Jen Morris, Claire Norbury, Justin Pitt, Tom Sherrington, Angel Stannard, Patrick Stratford, Sarah Went and Michael Weil. Brought to you in association with GeorgeFairbrother.com and Misty Moon Events. Signed copies of Oliver Crocker's book Witness Statements are available from DevonFireBooks.com. <laughs>